Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by 3M, PPG, and Breakthrough Academy. Welcome to the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, a show created to help painting company owners build a thriving painting business that does well over $1 million in annual revenue. I'm your host, Brandon Pierpont, founder of Painter Marketing Pros and creator of the popular PCA educational series, Learn, Do, Grow, Marketing for Painters. In each episode, I'll be sharing proven tips, strategies, and processes from leading experts in the industry on how they found success in their painting business. We will be interviewing owners of the most successful painting companies in North America and learning from their experiences. In this series titled A Painter's Dream, Jason Paris will be discussing what makes the painting industry so attractive to ambitious entrepreneurs and how painting company owners can capitalize on current and future opportunities. It is a four-part series. In episode one, Jason discussed macroeconomic trends and how the ebbs and flows of the economy should affect decision-making and planning within your painting company. In episode two, Jason dove into the influx of young talent into the industry and what that means for all painting company owners. In episode three, this episode, Jason will outline what you need to do in order to make your painting company sellable, allowing you the option for a lucrative exit. And in the final episode, episode four, Jason will elaborate on his philosophies of business and how they apply to you and your painting company. If you want to ask Jason questions related to anything in this podcast series, you can do so in our exclusive Painter Marketing Mastermind podcast forum on Facebook. Just search for Painter Marketing Mastermind podcast forum on Facebook and request to join the group or type in the URL facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Painter Marketing Mastermind. Again, that URL is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Painter Marketing Mastermind. There you can ask Jason questions directly by tagging him with your question so you can see how anything discussed here applies to your particular painting company. Jason is the chair of the board of directors of the PCA and founder of Paris Painting the most successful painting company that Painter Marketing Pros has worked with to date. Jason, thank you for conducting this great series for us. That's a great intro. Here we are. It's it's always that half hour intro, right? But we, <laughs> we get through it and it allows you the opportunity to take a little nap. Yep, they're good reps. Good reps. Yeah. All right. So so Jason, how do you sell a painting company? What, what do you have to do to make that work? Um. So we talked about kind of the genesis of this is starting with the end in mind. And so that's a little counterintuitive to most trades-based companies. It's kind of most people enter the trades as we talked about in our last series or last episode um, by finding it, not seeking it. Right. So very few people are thinking about all the options available to them on the platter of, of graduating with a business degree and choosing to start a a trades-based company, a painting company. Uh, Most people, the, the origin story is, uh, painted with my family, uh, or painting at college and then, uh, fell into it, right. Yeah. For a variety of reasons, they, uh, didn't want to pass a drug test or, or, uh, didn't want to work for anybody, right. Didn't want a boss. You can be your own boss in that sense. So 
that's kind of the genesis of this. If you're going to be intentional, starting with the end in mind, uh, you need to think about what you are going to create, right? And what you're ultimately going for. This is based off of Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people. This would be habit number two. Um, that idea that everything is created twice, uh, first gets created mentally in your mind, and then it gets created physically or practically, uh, in the world or, or however you're creating it. Um, so you want to think about, you know, what, what do you want this business to look like? What are the end days going to look like? Uh, what is the end? And then once you have an established vision, you can start to make decisions that move you closer to that vision as opposed to farther away. We kind of have like the hook of a lucrative exit, right? Uh, the reality is the exit can look, you know, there's, there's many, many different ways that an exit can look for, for a founder or a business owner, um, you know, selling the company, you can sell it outright and get a one-time cash payout. And we'll talk through all the, all the factors that go into evaluation, typically, whether you're working with a broker or, or anybody else. Um, but maybe you want to sell it to your, your, your children, right? Yeah. And it's like, well, how does this become something that's actually valuable for them to take on? Uh, or maybe you want to sell it to some of your, your, your staff that you're building up, right? So you're going to build up a president who's going to take over the company once you're ready to retire and, and uh, whether they do a full buyout or a partial buyout or majority buyout, uh, how do you build something that's actually going to hold inherent value for that individual, yeah. right? And now the dollar price is one aspect. The dollar price is really a reflection of what is actually important, which is stable passive income, right? So if you're going to build a company to have a lucrative exit, uh, I think the most lucrative exit you can have is one that continues to spit out cash in a stable passive way, right? You can always sell your company outright. Uh, however, there are many challenges with that. You're going to get a two to four X multiple of EBITDA, assuming that you're doing under a million dollars of profit. You can get a little bit higher when we start to do a little bit more because that inherently is going to have more management structure, which gives us the end goal of stable passive income. But you get that two to four X multiple, you're going to pay a brokerage fee. Typically, maybe you get out of that. You're going to pay uh, capital gains tax. You're going to pay taxes on that that's coming in. Uh, and now, and now you're left with whatever's left of that sale. And the question is, how do you get a return on that cash? Right? Cause the secret in life is not how much money you make. It's how much money you keep. Right. And then it's actually not how much money you keep, but what kind of return do you get on the money that you keep? Yeah. And that is going to be a very, very hard thing to compete with a equity in a painting company. Right. So when you have equity in a painting company, let's say it's spitting off a half million dollars cash. Let's say you're, uh, at a three X multiple EBITDA could cut it in the middle. So you get a $1.5 million valuation. You got to get like a 30, uh, you got to get a pretty good return on your cash to equal what you'd be making in profits per year of what that equity is valued at. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's the inherent challenge that comes with selling the company. But the reason a lot of people will sell their company uh, is because it's not a passive endeavor, right? It's not something that's going to be stable or passive in the long term. So they want to bring on a key employee. They want to bring in their children uh, or this new concept. that's kind of entering into the marketplace of bringing on an operating partner that can continue to stabilize the company, allow you to be passive and spit off cash. So that's yeah. kind of the framing or the philosophical why, starting with the end in mind, what's the end goal? Uh, how's this thing kind of ramp down, close out? You know, the typical or the typical end story is you sell your, maybe you sell some lead, lead flow and your equipment, right? That's typically what happens. Uh, or maybe you do a complete, a complete sell, uh, with some kind of a tail on it, but somewhat short. I think the real prize is to be able to sell a portion of your equity that continues to contribute stable passive income for the rest of your life. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I want to circle back to a couple of those things because, uh, Jason, you move fast. So EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation. Fancy way of saving profits. Painting companies actually aren't that complicated. So we say EBITDA like we're an agricultural or or manufacturing. Private equity firm. We're a private equity firm over here. This is how businesses are traded, right? They're traded based off of a multiple of profits. Now, if you're like a crazy... So like residential companies, repaint companies aren't that complex where you have to do like amortization and depreciation. And this is net, net profit. This is not your gross net profit. profit. So That's after the owner is paid for, there are puts and takes with that number. So we usually come to like an adjusted profit number when we let's, look at that. Let's get because, into adjusted EBITDA. No. Yeah. So well, the, well the, the adjusted profit is because there's usually two weird things that are happening in a painting company. One, the founder is wisely not paying more income tax than they need to. Right. So they're reducing their W2 and, and increasing their K9, which is a fancy way of just saying that they're paying themselves like forty to sixty thousand dollars a year to be the president, top sales rep, and and whatever other hats they're paying. Right. Versus the market wage for those compensations may be a hundred thousand dollars. Right. So there's a sixty thousand dollar gap. The company is showing sixty thousand more dollars of profit because they're not paying a market wage for the roles which is smart because they're going to pay less prop, less taxes in the, on the profits than they are going to pay on their payroll taxes, right? So that's a smart thing to do, but just kind of artificially inflates the profitability of a company. But then a lot of painting uh, business owners will have these kind of discretionary earning expenses, right? So they're like the top sales rep. So they take them and their family out on a vacation to, uh, you know, good job on your sales. Now, is that really a business expense? Or is that a personal expense that's being paid pre-tax to the business, right? Or you've probably seen the company that, uh, you know, they'll do a big training exercise uh, in their basement. Uh, it's called their basement remodel, right? And they're training their crews on how to you know, explore these different trades of, of drywall and framing and all these things. But the company does it at a loss, uh, but it's really a personal expense being paid pre-tax, right? So that's artificially deflating the profitability of the company. Let's say there's $100,000 of expenses that get pushed through the business in a year on that. So you've got $60,000 that's artificially inflating, $100,000 that's artificially deflating, right? You net that out. You've got about $40,000 that you want to deflate the profits to show a true adjusted EBITDA. Yeah. And I, I want to also, I'll just say, yeah, there, there's a lot there. Um, I think that's that's awesome. And uh, obviously, if, if anyone has questions on this, you know, everything he says makes perfect sense, but, but maybe if you're listening, maybe you don't have a financial background, you kind of, if you're lost a little bit, just tag him in the group, tag him in the Facebook group and, and, and Jason will be, you know, I think, I think he'll be happy to answer. Um, but I want to, I want to touch on this idea of passive income too, because I, I was actually thinking that when you said, you know, the reason people want to get out of the company is, is I think a lot of the reasons is they kind of get tired of working there, but if you set the company up, you don't really have to keep working there and you can still benefit from it. Right. So that's the that's the uh, the golden prize, right? The golden prize of capitalism is stable passive income, right? And how do you grow that? And so that's a hard thing to achieve. Uh, very very few companies achieve that on their own. Most do it through some form of partnership, where that's giving uh, you know key incentives or equity to the stakeholders of the company, so people that you're bringing up within your company. Sometimes people will bring family members in, uh, or if there's a domain expert in the industry, they may take on an operating partner on a fractionalized role. Those are all different options on how you achieve that stable passive income. But it's really about, and this is how companies ultimately are valued. If we, We'll get to the different variables and factors, but it's ultimately what is the likely performance of future profits, right? What, how, how certain are those future profits? 
right? And so there are different things that are going to be drivers and restrainers on that, right? By far the number one. So this is like the most important thing if you're looking to uh, just set your company up for success, make your company uh, enticing to be bought, whether it's on a, a full purchase or a partial purchase. Um, or if you're going to be buying a company, this is ultimately what you would be buying. This is like the real value is, is the core management in place and plan to continue for the foreseeable future, right? Is this a company that's going to manage and run itself? Or is this a company that needs people to step in and manage it after the purchase, right? And that is like almost all painting company purchases, transactions, right? All the ones that I've been a part of, all the ones that I've seen, uh, consulted on or came in on the back end and told them, yep, you got a really bad deal. That was a bad purchase. Now you're stuck and I can't help you. Uh, they're coming in and they are running the company, right? The purchaser is coming in and running the company. Maybe there's a few key roles in place, uh, but typically it's not a stable passive asset. That's the number one driver of evaluation is, is the core management team in place. Do they plan on continuing for the foreseeable future, right? What is the flight risk of those core people involved is what you would want to take a look at. Yeah. And that's, that's um, great because it's also when we're talking about this past, you know, let's say the trailing 12 month profitability, the EBITDA and how it, it's going to sell maybe two to three to four times, depending on where you're at. The reason that they're, they're paying that is not because of the past 12 months, right? You're already taking working capital, whatever cash you have in the business that's already being accounted for in the purchase price. What, why they're focused on the past 12 months or 24 months because that's an indicator of the, of the likely, you know, next three to five years. Yeah. That'd probably be the number one, the number two driver, right? So number one is the management team in place. Number two is how stable and how diversified are the profits, right? So diversified stable. is important. So stable, so we're stable. It's kind of like, uh, you know, last year we made a million bucks in profit. Awesome. Uh, the previous three years averaged $200,000, right? And you're like, hmm, that's like, Interesting. You want to dig into that, right? And then you might find out like, uh, oh, shoot, you know, we had a one-year spike because of a commercial project that was farmed for three years and it's not going to continue. Right? Yeah. That was a one-time thing. And so you're like, well, that's not really stable profits. Kind of on the same on that same edge, how diversified are the profits, right? So are all your profits coming from one source or one target or is it pretty well, pretty well, pretty well spread out? Or yeah. is, anything, is, any, is any single source surpassing that 15% threshold of, Hey, we have one relationship uh, with a GC. That's thirty percent of our profits. Um, you know, that's not very diversified. Uh, it, it just inherently brings more question and more uncertainty when you look to purchase an asset or sell it. Right? What is the likelihood of continued performance of the profits? It's not very diversified. You would you'd call that a little higher risk than something that has more diversity in it. Yeah, yeah, and risk is is always going to reduce. People need a higher return to take on risk like the stock market or anything else. The riskier it is, the higher return they need. And the way that they get a higher return is that they pay you a lower purchase price. Yep, yeah, that would be like your uh, ROE, your return on equity, right? And that there's two ways to move that lever. One of the ways you would move the lever is on the purchase price, right? And just accurately yeah. reflecting it. Number three, I said there's like four, there's a million different ways, but we'll just talk about four. Third would be account-based revenues or just uh, the likelihood of consistent revenues in, uh, continuing to, to be incurred in the, for the foreseeable future. Right. So if you like an account is like a account means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, as uh, one of my colleagues likes to say, but you could say repeat referral work would be like the most valuable account that you can look at. Right. So if you, you have a company that has a great reputation, 
you know, have a higher amount of referral and repeat, uh, that's a channel account that's pretty consistent. That's likely to continue for the foreseeable future, right? If you like have this weird Google hack, uh, that's getting you, you know, 30% of your revenue, um, that's, that's gonna, that's gonna, that's gonna introduce a little more uncertainty into this asset because Google's going to change their algorithm, you know, likely in the next 18 months. And so then you have to, you know, what is it? And you look at the past history of, this is a company that innovates consistently and stays up with the current trends, or is this an anomaly that we're, that we're, you know, walking into right now that could, could introduce some risk. Yeah. And I want to kind of dive into number three a little bit. So this account-based revenues, you know, the consistent repeat referral, those are going to be the, the best kinds of leads. So if you're good at cultivating and, and obtaining those, that's good. What do you think about just a customer list in general? How valuable is that? I mean, it depends who the list is. I mean, if it's a company that has low profits, it's like, great, here's a list of low profit uh, buyers, right? Yeah. And so it really depends who the list is. Um, you know, if, if you were if you were to structure a sale where like, so this is what a lot of companies will do is they'll just be like sell the list or sell their name or sell the brand. And then you're really looking at what is the replacement cost of that marketing, right? And yeah. uh, I think companies are kind of all over the map in what they, they say spend on marketing. I think you're going to advocate a very high percentage. Uh, so I don't know what I can say that would not be offensive to you. Well, let's just call yeah, it, say five, let's say it's a 5% cost on cost of marketing yeah. of revenue. And then you'd say like, well, I'm not going to pay. And then you say like you buy a company for their leads and their, and their flow. Like, well, I'm not going to pay you more than 5% of the revenue of leads that come in. Cause I could, I could, I could spend that somewhere else and get the same return. Right. Yeah. Why do I pay you 7% when I can pay 5% over here? Sure. Right? So that's, uh, that's how a lot of like, that's the way that like really simple, basic companies get structured as trying to harvest some of the equity in their sale. Um, there's not a ton of equity value, so it's hard to harvest it. Um, cause they didn't start with the end in mind as we talked about, yeah. we we're talking about on the show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, we, we typically recommend a, an investment of five to 10%. We're also working with companies that, that have very ambitious growth goals. Yep. Yeah. And there's differences in growth markets and, yeah. and, you know, just being stable and how long has the company been in business and what is their, the revenue that comes in from their repeat referral work based off their reputation yeah. for how many different years and are we in a recession? Are we in a boom economy? You know, all those yeah. things are going to be variables. And, and uh, like I said, I'm not going to step on your toes there. Yeah, no, no problem, man. Yeah. <laughs> Speak freely, please. Um, so you, you said basically there are four, I'd say the, yeah. So I'd say the fourth one. So this is just in general, like, is there anything novel or unique that you're purchasing, you know, proprietary technology, uh, elements, culture, um, things that'd be hard to replicate if you're to do a startup. Right. And so, you know, for us, we've, we've, we've gone the, there's, there's a million different things you can, things that you could look at is like, is it, do they have custom software that they're operating, a you know, unique, a unique, a unique operating system through, uh, maybe they have a learning management system that's, um, that's, that's, that's novel and how they onboard and skill up their people. Um, you know, you're kind of starting to squint at some of these things. You'd say like, is there a culture that's hard to replicate? Uh, is there something that's proprietary, um, about the brand that's going to be novel to it, right? They have, a, a, a you know, three decades of history or something like that. But yeah. It's kind of that, that last piece is what are the, in, what are the intangibles that'd be hard to replicate if someone were to do a startup to compete? Yeah. And I want to kind of, comment there it's very common for really small business owners in general but painting company owners as well to overvalue certain things to think that because they've been in the market for a long time or, or their brand you know it's your baby so yeah. so you're going to tend to value it more than somebody who is not their baby and they're going to look at it and and maybe maybe a little bit more objectively the funny thing is is sometimes people find buyers that uh like to get swindled 
And I've talked to a handful <laughs> of them that have been like, Hey, they like reach out to me and they're like, Hey, I, I know you're like involved in, in purchasing portions of companies and helping them yeah. scale. I'm like, uh, can you like save this for me? And we look at it and we're like, yeah, that's like a bad buy. <laughs> I was like, you got swindled and, uh, yeah. not swindled, but they just didn't make an educated purchase. And, uh, right. I mean, ultimately you want to look at, you know, what is the likelihood of future performance? What are you actually buying? Um, it helps when you're a buyer that can step in and be very, very active in the business that you're making a purchase in. Right. So that's what we do at all holdings. We come in as a, as a minority partner and we become very involved on a fractional business because, you know, the, the, I can think of three people I talked to in the last quarter. Um, they all came in thinking, you know, basically being sold what a great business this was, uh, and they were not operators, right? They were not domain experts in running and scaling a painting company. And they came in, got way over, uh, their skis. And unfortunately they did not pay a market wage price. You know, they paid an inflated price, uh, that any educated buyer would, would pay. So I'll just say that like, Hey, there are good stories out there. Uh, you know, you're going to likely pay a brokerage fee, uh, but the brokers are there to just make a transaction happen. And yeah. sometimes it does work. Um, you know, kind of sit with yourself and say like, oh shoot, you know, I kind of screwed somebody over and, and kind of sleep at night. I think the best sales are one where everyone maintains some skin in the game and you can do a partial equity sale as a founder. Yeah. Uh, I've actually, so I've sold Paris painting. Uh, I've sold portions of my company three times, right. In the last five years. Yeah. Right? And every time it was, you know, the purchase price was inconsequential in my mind. I wanted it to be fair, but I was never going to push back on what the price was. The real prize was stable passive income. Yeah. Right. And you think, think, you know, when I'm making this sale, is it getting me towards that goal of stable passive income? Is it something that I can, anyways, we can talk about all the, the values of partnerships, but is it something, can, can I achieve it on my own? What's the likelihood? What's the speed and what's the quality of life? Um, but that, but yeah, starting with the end in mind, what is the goal? Uh, you said, you know, typically painting companies are trading in that two to four X multiple of EBITDA. Uh, which is like a sober, a sober reality for all of us in this industry of the market does not value what we do very highly, right? It's never worth it to sell your company uh, if you're just looking for the cash, right? Because hopefully you're spitting off at least 15% profits of revenue, right? At least. Uh, and then you're only trading at a, let's say you get to a Forex multiple of those profits because very few painting companies are trading more than a million dollars of profits, which is where you start to maybe go over that a little bit. But never gets too high uh, if you look at even just national uh, transactions. And so it's like, well, if you're going to sell, why, like, why would you ever sell? I mean, yeah. the best investment you can make is to keep your cash in the painting company that's generating profit based off your equity, right? But the reason these companies end, right, is not because the underlying economics have broken suddenly. It's because the founder has gotten disenfranchised. They're burnt out. They don't want to continue. Right? That's what. That's what. That's what stops the merry-go-round from happening. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. So you just kind of recap the options here. And I want to dive into number three in more depth uh, and also figure out how people can reach out to you. Um, so number one, you can sell outright. Again, a lot of times that's not going to make a lot of sense because the you would make the same amount of money if you're selling for two or three times in two or three years, you would make that amount of money, right? So financially, that doesn't really make sense. Two, you can basically create a legacy. It's better than nothing. So it's if you're, than, if yeah. you're like, I'm done, if you're done, odds are this company is going to stop making money in the next year or two. Yeah. At least you're getting something if you're done. 
Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, if you're emotionally just checked out, then the company's going to go downhill if you don't sell it. Um, two, legacy, right? So, so selling or somehow passing off to children um, or workers, employees. And then three, this minority partnership. And I know that Olive Holdings um, does this really, really well. Best I've ever heard of. Um, and I want to I just how can people reach out to you? Obviously, I'm always promoting the Facebook group. Sure, it's a great sure. group. But this is a bit of more of a sensitive matter. People might not want to tag you in that group. What's the best way to reach out to you about this? Yeah, DM me on any social media channel. Uh, that's gonna, probably going to be the best way. My email is jason at olaf-mgmt.com. Olaf is A-L-E-P-H. It's the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, the pictogram is an ox. Uh, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, as, as one of my colleagues likes to say. Uh, but we ultimately, the, the kind of the spirit of our partnerships is we like to come in and bear the yoke with the companies we're making an investment in. Right. So we kind of view the, we talked about this in the previous episode about painting the industry as kind of that wild west mm -hmm. and the wild west needs to get settled and you settle the land by plowing it. And all of, we view ourselves as the ox that yokes up with the founders who are also ox and we plow that field. Yeah. And the beautiful thing of when you yoke up two oxen together, uh, it's not just a two X multiple of what they're able to produce, uh, but that synergy effect it's four X. So two ox yoked together can carry four X the load of a single ox alone. Yeah, well, especially the the industry and, and technical know-how and everything that Olive Holdings has. So this is like this is like 101 uh, if you're looking to partner in any industry, right? You want to say, you know, what is the likelihood that I may get there? Does this does this partner carry some domain expertise that uh, I don't currently have, right? That's going to get me there faster uh, with a higher higher likelihood of success and with with you know a, a lower uh, incident of mental or emotional trauma, right? So if you can find someone that's a domain expert. Uh, that's willing to be active in your company. Um, that's kind of like the golden, uh, you know, option of taking on a, pro a partner. Uh, you know, below that would be someone who is strictly advisory. You know, but at that point you're really hiring a coach. Uh, but you have a coach with skin in the game, so that's not a bad option. And then probably the lowest tier would be dumb money, right? Especially in painting, because painting is not a very capital intensive business. Um, but there are there are other industries where that makes a ton of sense. Where you say, hey, I just need someone to bring the cash. That's actually really important in this business. I don't need your advice. I don't need you to be active. I just need your cash, right? Yeah. But for a painting company, if you can someone bring, have someone that brings skin in the game, as going to help pour some some uh, some gasoline on the fire for growth. Also, as a domain expert, so has been there, done that recently, and then is willing to be active and engaged in your company, right? Has built the bandwidth, has built the the infrastructure to take active roles in these companies to fill the gaps that you as a founder probably have, right? Because most founders don't. Most founders don't lack knowledge. They know what to do. They just, they're not going to do it. Yeah. 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 It kind of have to be a jack of all trades when you, when you start a company, um, but then hire, you know, hire all-star players. We talked a lot about the team, I think last time. So yeah. about valuation uh, to recap, because I also have a follow-up question for you. Valuation number one, likely performance of future profits, <laughs> one most important. Number two, stable and diversified revenue. If all your revenue or a lot yeah. of over 15% is coming from one customer, well, then that's concentrated and it's risky because if you lose that customer, you lose a lot of revenue. Number three uh, is account-based revenue. So basically your customer list repeat referral business, or is that activated active and are those good customers, high profit? And then number four is, do you have anything novel or unique, whether it's a CRM, you know, whatever it is to your business that would be valuable, maybe can't be easily obtained elsewhere or developed elsewhere. One question I have for you that I think is really common. I think people, a lot of painting company owners underestimate um, and you've touched on it, but I want to figure out where where it applies exactly. Is is the idea that 
they are they are instrumental to the business, right? They want to sell because they want to get out. And, and if they want to get out because they're burned out, then they're probably doing a lot. And if, the, if, it's, if it's their name on the painting company, if people, let's say that number three, account-based revenue, the re- referral, they know that that person, is it going to be the same or, or someone new who comes in? Are they going to now have disadvantages because they're not the owner? Because that's a problem. For sure. For sure. hundred percent. So a lot of times what I've seen, whether it's in my own company or other companies we've made investments in, sometimes you trade off, um, I don't, you call it efficiency for effectiveness. Right. And so like, we're never now. Okay. So I'll just start with myself. I, no one could ever sell like I could sell. Right. I'm like, Mr. Paris out there doing bids. Like I just, I know all the, tw- the, the, the quirks and the tricks of like how to, how to instill trust in a client. And I got it's all these, your name. And all these your, things, your name. no one could ever sell like I could. Right. Yeah. Um, now, okay. So that, we'll, start, we'll start with that premise. And then you start, start to say like, well, but, uh, you know, how, how scalable is Jason doing bids, right? How many bids can I do in a week? Right. And how sustainable, how, how long do I want to do bids? You so can get how, it to over 10 million yourself, right? Maybe I don't want to. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be a quite the lot. Odds are no. Odds are no. And that'd then the cool. likelihood that that's going to happen is very, very low. Um, so that's like, you can't scale it and you can't sustain it long term. You know, super, super efficient, uh, but not very effective for the end goal. Where we talked about that's why you, that's the whole Stephen Covey reason of we set a vision is you start saying, are these decisions moving me towards my vision or away from my vision? If the vision is to make a great lifestyle business, where I'm pulling out a lot of cash year over year and I'm investing that cash in other vehicle, you know, in other real estate, other assets. Um, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a great vision to have. Make those decisions. If you have a different vision, you want to make sure you're moving, moving towards that direction. Um, but yeah, you, you say those two things, and that, but then the reality is, you know, what I found is that I was not a God of selling. Uh, I was good. I was pretty good, but I can hire people who have certain uh, specialized skills and characteristics where they're Oh, they're like only good at selling, right? They can't run production. They can't do the office admin. Uh, they can't be the leader of the company, right? But they're really, really good at sales. And I had to be all those things. I had to be all those things. And I was like, good at, I was like good at a lot of their things, but they are just specialized in it. And it's all they do every day. That's all they think about, right? So if someone's like specially tailored to be something and that's all they do every day, they're probably gonna be better than you, right? These are the pit, the pit bulls of the company. Uh, the, what do you call them? Uh, I want to say golden retrievers or something, but yeah, I don't know if you, have you been to Micah's class on like the, uh, I skills? have not Golden. Okay. So they're going to go out and they're going to bring it back. They're going to bring them. Bring, yeah. yeah. So you have like different skill sets of, uh, they're a dog of some kind. We, we yeah, said you have like the, you know, he, he does it. He does it in a funny way, but if you haven't gone to his class, you should go to it. Paint by numbers, uh, in, in midsummer. Okay. But the odds are that they're going to be better at it. And then even if they're not, a team of people is always going to outperform you. It's going to be more scalable and more sustainable. So those are some of the things you start to look at. And then like, as we've come into companies, you know, a founder will, especially someone's been entrenched in their company for a while and they've gotten just very, 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 very efficient, right? What they do. It's just, it's kind of like quirky and they got their unique things, uh, but it's not scalable. It's not sustainable. And those are the two prizes that we're trying to achieve together. And so we'll come in and sometimes it means taking a step back in efficiency, right? So that's not the goal. We want more profits, not less profits. Like, yeah, we're also trying to build something that is sustainable and scalable, right? Yeah. As we have sustainability, as we have scalability, now we can start to funnel in some of those profits to picking up those efficiency points once again, right? But th- those are like the exercises of, you know, I just could keep coming back. We'll start with the end in mind. Where's your goal? Uh, there's this beautiful prize uh, at the end of a painting business's life 
where you can have stable passive income for the rest of your life, right? That's how most, that is, that is the carrot that drives most high quality talent into running and owning a company, yeah. right? Painting businesses have a very, very hard time realizing the value of their equity. It just isn't typically harvested, right? Cause it's never built that way. There isn't that vision. There's not that, that end goal, that path. People aren't making decisions that move them closer to that goal. Right. I think part of it's just a, a, a paradigm or just a, a thought or a concept of this is an option, right? This is something that's real. Then once it's an option that's real, it's very, very hard to create that because most people don't, right? And most people can't, most people don't want to, uh, or just doesn't work out. Right. So you say, well, like, oh, well that, that's where, that's why you would take on either, you know, elevating or, or attracting really, really top talent by bringing them in as a, as an equity holder, as a partner, or if you can take on a minority partner, that means on a fractional basis, you get there faster, much higher likelihood, less mental trauma. It's more likely what you put those three things together, more likely that that business is going to turn into an actual asset. Right. And it's that generation generation of businesses into assets. That I think is going to be the biggest tide riser in the industry. Yeah. And I'm talking, and you talk about like professionalization to the clients that we talked about in our first episode to the clients, to the employees, to the business, right? All those things, the side starts to rise because now these are assets that people are viewing of building as opposed to just lifestyle businesses. We're trying to pull out cash. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very few people. Does it make sense for them to stay on their own? Very few people are going to recognize the same level of success. If it can happen over over generations or decades, you know, sometimes decades. Yeah, uh, it's take a very long time. But it's just it comes down to those three elements of what's the likelihood I'm gonna achieve it on my own, how long is it gonna take, and what's the life trauma, right? What's the what's the sacrifice or the consequences of that decision? I like yeah. that word. That that's uh calling a spade a spade, right? There is a lot of trauma, not the trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Well, kind of uh someone we've all listened to is talks about, you know, founding a company, being an entrepreneur is like staring into the dark, dark abyss while chewing on glass, right? It's, just, it, it's <laughs> not motivating, right? It's like, this is not a beautiful vision to be looking at. And I'm like chewing glass. Uh, that is not an enjoyable thing. So it's like, I'm chewing glass. I'm dep- looking at something that's very depressing and, uh, you know, welcome to some point in starting a company. Right. Yeah. And it's like, well, if you can make it through that, you know, that's, that's, that's the goal. And there are many of those tranches on the way to professionalization, right? So as companies scale up, largely driven by, you'd say, like the infrastructure, um, maximization of the infrastructure and then re-ending up. But you kind of, it's never a linear growth of profits, stability, well-being. It's like you go up, then you go down. And you got to grow through that tranche right here. So you go up, down, up. You got to grow through that tranche. Until you it start can to feel realize. like the end of the world. It can feel like you're losing it all when you when you hit that that trauma. And you you gotta go through that four or five times, yeah. right? There's these different anti up points in scaling a business to stability. Uh, we can start to afford all the infrastructure roles that don't necessitate the day to day involvement of a single founder or owner. Yeah, yeah. I wanna I wanna also touch. I try not to make this this podcast too inspirational, but I also think this is actually really effective and important. Um, this Stephen Covey, you know, seven, seven habits of highly successful people, this idea that you have to accomplish something twice because, and I'm guilty of this too. I just go out and try to do it, but you need to almost materialize your reality. So you have to create that reality inside your head and, and what it looks like. And then your odds of creating it in the actual physical world are far superior. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of, fan of vision boards. 
in every area of your life, right? But just clearly mapping out what is this going to look like, right? What do I want this to look like? Can I, is it real? Is it tangible? Uh, you know, get quirk, you know, get quirky or weird as I think you, uh, what'd you, what'd you say? You confess to calling me weird or something on a, on another podcast. I, I confess. Yes. I was, <laughs> I have a, a podcast with Chad Shermer of the yeah. PCA, uh, first industry partner series podcast. And I called you a weirdo. Yeah. I, so be I, a weirdo. Like, oh, maybe I, mean, I shouldn't have done that, but no, go. I, I mean, people don't really have magazines now, but go online, get some pictures, cut them out, piece yeah. them together, Photoshop your head on it. Right. And put it on a dream board. Uh, create it visually. Like no one goes and builds a house or a city, uh, or a building, uh, or a company without first creating a blueprint, right? Yeah. It'd be, it's chaos, right? And now to the extent that the, that the blueprint is adaptable and malleable, uh, you know, that's going to change based on the, the time horizon of your vision, right? So if it's, if it's 20 year, you know, you're looking, you're, you're getting real gen- generic, right? These are not like smart goals. This is how it feels and how it looks and what the destination is. You know, as you get closer and closer, you're starting to get more and more of a specific, measurable, actual, realistic time phase goal. So it's highly, highly measurable. Uh, but the farther out, you know, don't be, don't be, when you're setting a, a long-term vision, it's kind of like a little tangent support, uh, setting a long-term vision. Don't be afraid to get a little, little mercurial, right? A little, uh, little hazy, a little soft. Cause, uh, the odds that it's going to be that in 20 years is, is very, very low, but you do want to know what direction you're heading in. Let's, let's touch just for people who don't know what a smart goal is. Can you walk us through that? Sure, sure, sure. sure. Uh, so I, I've, some people use different words. Uh, I use specific measurable, actional, realistic time phase. I think there's a different spin on that that a lot of people use specific would mean, you know, is this a goal that is, is clearly defined, right? Is it like a a generic, like, I think I just want to be good. Uh, so like it's almost, I think this will be released around new year's time, but so let's talk about like fitness goals, right? So specific would be, you know, I want to run a, a marathon, right? It's very specific. It's not, I want to be good at running. It's like specific as I want to do measurable would be like, well, I don't, do I know if it's a success or not? So a marathon is very measurable. It's 26.2 miles. Uh, running is a little vague, right? Like most people start running versus walking around. I think it's 13 minutes a mile, uh, give or take. So you'd say like, well, here's a, here's a time constraint. That I want to do the mile, the marathon in. I don't know the math on that 26.2 times 13, just figure it out. Right. Let's, let's say, let's say it's a four hour goal. So, you know, you have specific, you have measurable. Is this actional? Is this a goal I can take action on? Right. Is it something I, it's basically another way of saying, do I have control over this goal? Right. Well, yeah, you can, you can do a, an exercise routine. You can get into a running plan. You can do uh, you know, eat well, uh, all those, all those different soft skills. It's not something that's just up to the world to dictate if it's going to happen or not. Or right? you say like, I have a specific goal of I want, you know, an asteroid to hit Brazil, right? I don't, why would you want that? Who knows? But that's not within my control, right? That's not something I can take an action on. Yeah. Right? Realistic would be like, is this, a, is this a goal that's within the realm of your achievement, right? You have a past history of achieving this goal. You know, if you've never run a marathon, maybe four mile, four, if you've never run a 5k, a four hour marathon might be a little tough. Uh, maybe you just want to say, I want to finish a marathon. Maybe it's five hours. Maybe it's six hours. Maybe you're walking a good portion of it. Right. Yep. A two hour marathon would not be realistic for pretty much almost, almost most people. Uh, I think maybe that is the one that the mark that hasn't been hit yet. So it's like, well, don't set a goal. that's unrealistic. Right. Last one is time phased. Right. So it's like, I want to, I want to run a marathon under four hours in your life. In your life is a time that's fine. Sure. Uh, in your thirties, uh, this next calendar year, you know, in Q1, uh, making it time, time phased, but those are all the elements of something that gets really specific which ultimately comes down to accountability. Can you hold yourself accountable? 
Can you hold your team accountable? Can you hold the organization accountable to hitting the goals or not? As you move farther out on the time horizon, uh, for myself and my personal life, my goals get less smart, less specific. They get more descriptive in general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, setting goals that, that don't have those attributes tend to basically be irrelevant, right? Yeah. yeah they're not goals. The they're, they're objectives, right? Yeah. So these are like uh, destinations uh, or directions, right? And then goals are the, the guideposts on the way there. So you, you know very clearly, am I moving in that direction? Right. Or not, but yeah, yeah, goals should be very goals are, if it's not, if it's not smart, it's not a goal. It's like a description. Yeah. And, and be measuring it. There's a, another saying I like what you measure uh, expands, right? So if you're actually measuring it and focused on it, that means that's where your focus is. And we recently filmed a, an episode with Brad Elson of Elson painting. He's very focused on sales numbers. So his sales numbers grew, right? Yeah. Wherever your focus is, you tend to succeed there. So we have Paris painting here. We like alliterations. I like uh, you treasure what you measure, right? Okay. Alliteration. So what, whatever you're measuring, that's ultimately what you're going to be treasuring. And kind of look at where your mental bandwidth is and, and what you're focused on. And that's that's a good mirror to reflect on kind of what you you treasure in your life. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked a lot about the how you value a painting company, the important attributes, some of the downfalls of. Um, of painting companies that, that are, you know, the, the majority of painting companies. I want to kind of get to the nitty gritty of this. If somebody's listening and, and they're early on in their painting or they've been going for a while, but they don't really feel like they're, they're there, um, what steps should they take? And my guess is this is going to probably lead into systems or processes or something like that. But what steps can they take today over the next year to try to change this? Yeah. Uh, so like the foundation of any company is know your numbers, right? You kind of say like getting that compass in place uh, would be step number one, right? So do you know your numbers? Do you have KPIs? Uh, do you know if you're profitable or not? Do you know what kind of jobs are profitable? You know, what's your sales metrics looks like? What are your marketing things? <coughs> That'd be step number one. And then you're kind of like on the race, getting your core three in place, right? And so your core three would be, you know, someone who's heading up marketing and sales, uh, someone who's heading up, you know, production and coordination, and then uh, it's kind of like your office admin person, right? Those are like the core three of a company. And then I just say from a residential repaint company, you're probably closing, getting pretty close to that $3 million mark. We can start to afford some of that infrastructure, right? Yeah. Now you have like, like the base. That's like startup, that's like startup rush number one, right? The, the sprint to 3 million or whatever the number is to, to afford those infrastructure pieces, right? Now you're looking at, uh, you know, how do, I, how do I start to grow? How do I start to, to scale? Right, kind of in that three to five, three to five. So now you're looking at, you know, how do you recruit top talent? You can start to build a foundation to scale. Uh, you're formalizing your coaching because now you're not just getting key people in key seats, but you're really getting the productivity out of them, out of them. Right. So you're really coaching up those roles, coaching up those people. Um, you know, adopt. Uh, you know, how do you get everyone to adopt the systems and and implement it to their fullest? Right. Then after five million, you know, now you're kind of throttling the growth a little bit. You're really looking for stable, consistent cash flow and a healthy net, healthy net margin, right? Now you're starting to like scale in a very healthy way. Uh, now you're not just interested in, in affording the revenue to pull out cash. You're really interested in how stable and passive is that is that cash going to be over the long term? Yeah. So you would say above five. I mean, obviously you, you kind of need to be trying to set up these systems along the way, but above five million will be where your primary focus really becomes internally setting up your systems. There's, yeah, there's kind of like a reality of, um, 
it's great if you're like stable passive from day one, but uh, you have to get the revenue in the door to afford the infrastructure pieces. And there is like, you're going to be the funnel. Like you got to work hard. You got to grit. You got to grind. You got to, you got to rush. You got to work. You got, I mean, all those things, but high pain tolerance you talk about to get to the revenue mark. We can start to afford the key people in the key seats, which allows some of the freedom to now start working on the company. Right. And then you can start to afford to attract top talent. Right. Then once you get the top talent in the door, now you want to really put an emphasis on coaching and development because you want to get the maximum ROI from every role in your company. Right. But there's, it's kind of like, uh, that concept of specializing versus generalizing. So this is like, let's say you have a vision to specialize in just painting white kitchen cabinets, right? And that's like all you want to do, but you can't afford to just do that because you don't have the revenue to pay the bills. So now you're staining decks, you're painting fences, you're painting the outsides of houses, insides of houses. Suddenly you have more demand for your services and you have capacity to achieve. So you start cutting out the stuff that doesn't fit your vision, right? So now you're not staining decks and, or painting fences, right? And pretty soon you're not painting the outside of houses, right? And then pretty soon you're not painting ceilings and you're not painting walls. And then you're not painting any of the other trim in the house. And then you're not painting cabinets unless they're white, right? But you can't afford to do that day one because you likely don't have the revenue coming in the door to survive. Yeah. And what point you start to shear stuff off or cut stuff off is going to be dependent on your capacity, right? And your vision. Yeah. I mean, you got to talk about really streamlining the operations here, simplifying to scale. So I want to bring up again, and and I don't plug things that I don't believe in, but it's worth having a conversation with Olive Holdings, even if if you're not wanting to move forward, you think you don't want to move forward, at the very least, you can probably receive some advice, right? That's good. So it's it's kind of where I'm putting my next energy and effort, uh, time into is this concept of all foldings, which is pretty, it's very, it's novel in residential painting. It's not novel in the economy at whole, right? Yeah. There's a blueprint here of, that you're following and you're bringing right. into this industry. Here's a group of domain experts that have very recently, you know, sta- gr- scaled and stabilized the painting company, right? To where the equity holders can be completely passive in the business, right? And we've now built out the bandwidth and infrastructure to lean into other painting companies on a fractionalized role. Yeah. Right. We do that by making investments, getting skin in the game, and now having a mutual incentive to both scale and stabilize that business. Right. So it's pretty novel. There's no one else doing it. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh different types of this going out there. There's people that don't have skin in the game. Um, there's there's the great option of like consultants and coaches, right? Which do provide a gap to the industry uh where they trade, you know, service or advice for cash. Uh, but they aren't bought in in the same way to see it through to integration, right? yeah. which is like the most important element of a company's stability and growth is truly integrating uh, both the advice that gets laid out. Yeah. From my I, experience. I want to um, explore what kinds of painting companies are a good fit for this. So it's kind of three avatars that we've partnered with and seen. And so I'll just, so we are, recording this so people know we're recording this at the end of 2022 yep. that what but this is getting released in early uh what year is it yeah, this gets released in early 2020 not recorded this morning this is not live this is not a live show not live yeah uh, so we came into the goal the year with the goal of taking on of making three investments so we wanted to find three companies we feel like we're good fits to make investments in that we could lean in on a fractionalized role we ended up finding six that fit that category this year and so 
Uh, with that came a lot of investment in our bandwidth and infrastructure. They can fill into fill in those seats and start to fill those roles. But this was our first full year into it. I don't think it's fully uh, entered the zeitgeist or people have realized what's happening uh, because it is pretty novel. It is pretty unique. You know, if I had had this option uh, five, six years ago, uh, I've been like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. I want to engage in this. The companies that we ultimately look for though are, you know, are you open taking on a partner? Uh, are you willing to make changes and adopt your company? Do we have the shared vision of stable passive income for the rest of our lives? Right. Yeah. If that's not a shared vision, it's not a good fit. Uh, there's kind of three people we've partnered with. We've partnered with people that are pretty early on, early on in their journey. So I'd say minimum threshold is maybe $750,000 in revenue. And that's really us taking a flyer on the individual, right? The founder and the driver. Uh, yeah. But we've done that. And then we've more than 2X their company in one year together, both them and us. Yeah. We've partnered with people that are kind of stagnating. So they've been in business for 20 years. They've achieved great success, phenomenal lifestyle business, but they know that they're not the person to take it to the next level. And they see the opportunity in their team. So they go, decide to go to the outside market, find an operational partner that can lean in and help scale their business. Right. And then the third avatar would be someone there's, there's two people we've, that we've talked to with this, but uh, they're looking to exit the next three to five years. Right. And they see the path. They're going to sell their, their business for a one-time cash payout. Uh, but they're really intrigued by the option of maintaining a portion of the equity for the rest of their life and based and getting a distribution from a business that's being operated by others. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of those. So I, I kind of, here's like, there's like the philosophical alignment that needs to be there. And then there's the different stages of a company where we've seen it work well. Um, but really it's more about, is that vision there? And then the question is, you know, do you think you can do it on your own? Uh, do you want to do it on your own? Right. And then are you willing to go through the sacrifice that's going to require? Right. Yeah. So those are kind of the three decision matrices uh, that people go through. Again, if you're listening to this and, and you think this might be a fit, or uh, you'd like to discuss it, best way to reach Jason is by direct messaging him on social media, or you can also send him an email, jason at aleph, A-L-E-P-H dash M-G-M-T dot com. Yeah, not everybody's a good fit too. And that's just calling Space Bait. And I talk to a ton of painting companies every single week. And a lot of times it's just giving them advice. And I'm happy to do that too. And just say, you know, first of all, what's your vision? So let's get clear on that. If somebody doesn't know their vision. That's like, Let's get that figured out first, because now we're going to start making decisions that move you towards your vision. And yeah. that's a principle, whether it's in your business or your life or your marriage or your fitness, uh, you need to know where you're going before you can start moving there. But yeah, I'm happy to talk to, to people. Um, I'm pretty, pretty entrenched in the painting industry. Uh, obviously, I've been around a lot of success. I've had a lot of success and yeah, love making connections with painting contractors. Yeah. If you're listening to this and you haven't reached out to Jason, why wouldn't you, right? Like this, this again, particular to the painting company, I would say very rarely in an industry, can you reach out to thought leaders and, and leaders and, and most successful people in the industry, in the country and have them just want to help you. That's kind of unique to painting. It's an underserved industry. So take advantage of it. It's a, it might be just a unique period in time. I just have a lot of bandwidth. I'm not, I don't, I'm not active in the painting in Paris painting. Uh, as you record this, I'm getting ready to hand off my chair role as the PCA and then I'll still sit on the board and be the ex chair, but uh, I do have a pretty uh, flexible lifestyle right now that does allow me to to do those things. Well, appreciate that, Jason. So, do you have anything as we wrap up this podcast? Anything else to discuss with building with the end in mind, making your company sellable? So I say, 
I kind of just want to recap, you know, making sure you have a clear vision of where you want to get to and how important that is before you start doing action. So there's an old saying, um, you know, <laughs> action without vision, uh, is a nightmare, right? Now, vision without action is a daydream, uh, but action without vision is a nightmare. And I think that's where a lot of people find themselves in, in entrepreneurship and small business ownership is uh, the business owns them, right? They don't own a business, the business owns them. And so establishing a clear vision and there's neither a right or a wrong, uh, but making sure you know what you're moving towards. If you want to have a great lifestyle business that you can pull a ton of cash out that requires active energy um, and you invest in, in other vehicles and other assets, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's the American dream. God bless America. You know, if you want to build an asset that's going to be stable and passive for the rest of your life, uh, just make sure that that's very clear on what you want and think about how you're going to get there. You know, I'd say that's number one, you know, once you set, once you set that vision, we'll assume the second route, start thinking through, you know, what do you need to get in place and what are the action steps you're going to be taking as a driver of this business to get there? Um, explore, are you the right person to do that on your own? Are you going to be the person that scales a company from zero to, to 5 million? Uh, are you going to, you're going to want some help along the way. And then through what, what was the real need of help? Do you need someone to tell you what to do? Uh, do you need some advice? Do you need some people leaning with services? Uh, or do you need an operating partner? Um, those are kind of the different decision matrices that you want to go through. Um, yeah, I'd say the whole, the whole purpose of this podcast, starting with the end in mind, just getting that concept or that vision of, you know, a lucrative sell-off is, is one option. Uh, most of the market does not value painting companies to be Super, super valuable, especially if you compare it to, I mean, any other industry, manufacturing, tech, medical, et cetera. But how could you turn this into a true asset that's going to be stable and passive for the rest of your life? That's really the the end goal. That's like the that's like the golden liquidity moment of harvesting your equity. Yeah, and if you're kind of early on and and you think that you're not yet potentially the right fit for all of holdings, there's a book by uh, Michael Gerber, E Myth Revisited. It's very popular. Uh, check it out because I will also kind of show you what setting up systems and processes can do for you and how to do it. Yep. Great book. E-Myth is uh, E-Myth, Traction, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Those would be like the top three. Yeah. Rich, rich Dad, Poor Dad changed my life. It's, it's why eventually I have Painter Marketing Press right years ago. So there you go. Jason, thanks, man. This was, was an awesome episode three camp. I'm kind of afraid of the next episode. I don't know what it's going to be. It's yeah. philosophies of business. I think it's going to be your favorite one. It's going to get real wild. Get it's some gonna, yeah. And yeah, it's going to be something yeah. else. They think uh, episode two was was the Wild West. Wait till episode four. So thank you for your time, Jason. Appreciate it, man. Awesome. Thanks, Brandon. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Hey there, painting company owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us your feedback. Let us know how we did. And also, if you're interested in taking your painting business to the next level, make sure you visit the Painter Marketing Pros website at paintermarketingpros.com to learn more about our services. You can also reach out to me directly by emailing me at brandon at paintermarketingpros.com and I can give you personalized advice on growing your painting business. Until next time, keep growing.
Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painted Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org. 